0: welcome. It's good to have you here with us this morning. Thank you so much for choosing to spend part of your busy day here with us as we worship the Lord. My name is Randy. I'm one of the pastors here at New Hope. There's a reality show called Undercover Boss. I don't know. Have you ever, have you ever seen it? Uh, any, any big fans of it out there or uh, just... Maybe once in a while, take a look at it. It's an interesting show. The premise is one of the senior executives, often uh, the CEO of a company, will put on a disguise. They get to pick their own disguise. And they work for a week to two weeks with one of the employees of the company on the front line. Now, there's camera crews all around, so they... They disguise that too. They tell them they're making a documentary or they tell them it's a competition show. That explains the cameras. And the boss gets to work undercover for several weeks with people from his or her own company. The most interesting part of the show is the reveal, which comes in the last couple of minutes. Each night. In the reveal, the boss lets everybody know who he or she is. They get to see that this person that they had been working with for the last week or two is more than they thought they were. They're the boss. Sometimes uh, people have been fired when. They don't embody the, the values of the organization. But more frequently, the boss will realize, hey, you know, we need to do better training. And they, and they institute some new training or, or new benefits. And fairly commonly, the boss will give one or more of the people that he's been working with who he's realized just how tough it is to actually work on the front lines. He'll give them cash. He'll give them thousands of dollars to help them over a particularly tough time in their life. The key to the show, they didn't know who they were working with. And the passage that we're going to look at today is very, very similar. It's, uh, I don't know, maybe it was the pilot episode for Undercover Boss. But here in, in the book of Mark, now the disciples have just figured out that Jesus is the Messiah, or at least it's now out in the open. It's now public knowledge. Jesus actually comes to them and asks the question Who do you think I am? And Peter, responding for all of them, says, we think you're the Messiah. And Jesus basically says, you're right. But now they get the second part of that story. Reading here in Mark chapter 9, verse 2, six days later, Jesus took Peter, James, and John And led them up a high mountain to be alone. Now, Peter, James, and John were three that Jesus frequently called apart. Frequently. He would have them kind of be with him uh, in in a little bit more private setting. Uh, A couple of months before, when Jairus' daughter was ill and actually died, Jesus took Peter, James, and John into the bedroom when he raised her from the dead. A couple of months from now, Jesus will take Peter, James, and John with him into the Garden of Gethsemane. So these three were kind of a special deal. As the men watched, Jesus' appearance was transformed. And the original language there, it uses a word, that we get the word metamorphosis from today. So Jesus was, was a butterfly coming out of his cocoon and they were realizing, hey, something different is happening here. Jesus' appearance was transformed and his clothes became dazzling white, far whiter than any earthly bleach could ever make them. So the disciples are with Jesus, three of them. And they see Jesus literally, literally begin to shine. His face shone. His clothes shone. His feet blazed. You know, at first I thought, okay, so when the disciples see that, they probably thought of Moses when Moses came off the Mount, mount Sinai. He had spent 40 days with God. God gave him the law. When he came down, his face shone, but his clothes didn't. More recently, I really don't think that they thought of Moses on Mount Sinai. I think instead they thought of a passage from the book of Daniel. In Daniel chapter 7, starting in verse 9, we read these words. Daniel has a vision, and he says, I watched as thrones were put in place. And then the ancient one sat down to judge. His clothing was as white as snow. His hair like the purest wool. Daniel goes on. He said his feet were like Flames like bronze that's just come out of the furnace. Bright, shining. Everything about him was different. He was totally transformed. Back to Daniel. And Daniel, the son of man comes. The son of man who is the Messiah figure in the book of Daniel. He comes and then the court began its session and the books were opened. The son of man comes. He's given authority to judge, Daniel says. And he knocks his gavel on the desk. court is in session and the world will be judged. The disciples see Jesus transfigured in the very same way that the ancient one comes, presents himself before the world, and then judges the world. And the disciples get all excited. They look at this, and especially Peter looks at this. And as they are watching, two people appear, and they begin to talk to Jesus. Then Elijah and Moses appeared. They began talking to Jesus. Now, Mark tells us it was Elijah and Moses. I kind of think what happened is two people appeared and began to talk to Jesus. First, they probably figured these are some people from a nearby village, and Jesus, as he's talking to them, one of them he calls Elijah. And that's okay. That's a fairly common name in the time of Jesus. But the other one, as they are involved in this conversation, he calls Moses. And that is unusual. Because if you look through Scripture, you never see anyone other than Moses given the name Moses. You get a bunch of Johns. You get several Davids. You get a bunch of Elijahs, but there's only one Moses. Because they would not give the name Moses to any of their children. Moses was too unique. He was the one who spoke face to face with God. He saw God. He gave Israel the law. Nobody would name their child Moses. And yet as Jesus talks to these two guys, he calls one of them Moses and at first, they think, who in the world would call their son Moses? And then they realize wait a minute. It was Jochebed that called this boy Moses. This is Moses. This is the Moses. So this must be the Elijah. Back from the dead, talking to Jesus. Peter gets all excited. He goes to Jesus and, and Peter, Peter uh, listening to them, begins to hear what they're talking about. Now, we're not told here in the book of Mark, but in the book of Luke. Luke tells us what they were talking about. Reading in Luke nine thirty. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared and they began talking to Jesus. They were glorious to see. And they were speaking about his exodus from this world, which is about to be fulfilled in Jerusalem. Really interesting to me that Luke uses the word exodus here as Jesus is talking to Moses. But it's not the exodus of Israel from Egypt. It's the exodus of Jesus from the world on the cross. You see, Moses and Elijah, they've they've been in heaven. They've been with God. They've heard his plan to actually become a man, to live here with us, and then to die. For us, so when Moses and Elijah are there talking to Jesus, what do they talk about? Tell us more about this this death. Tell us more about what it is that you're going to do. We just can't wrap our minds around it. Let us know. And so Jesus begins to explain the cross, his suffering, his death. I'm sure he talked about his resurrection as well. He explains the whole plan of salvation right to to Moses, to Elijah. And there are Peter, James, and John listening, overhearing all of this. Now Peter really gets excited. So so Peter, he runs to Jesus and 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 he kind of blurts out like Peter frequently would do. Rabbi. It's wonderful for us to be here. Let's make three shrines. Three shelters as memorials. One for you. One for Moses. One for Elijah. Now you can see what was in Peter's mind. We want to spread the news. We want everybody to know that Jesus is the Messiah. And we want everybody to know... And he is something special, as hard as it is to believe. He is God. So let's just make three shines, and we'll start start selling tickets. We'll let people come. They can talk to you, and they can talk to Moses and Elijah. And Moses and Elijah can tell everybody he's the Messiah. He is God himself. Mark kind of interjects. He said this because he really didn't know what else to say. (laughs) He was scared to death. Before Jesus can respond, a cloud overshadows them. A cloud literally comes down out of heaven and envelops them. And they understand the image of the cloud, You see the cloud in the Old Testament. It was a cloud that led Israel out of Egypt. It was a cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night that appeared on Mount Sinai where Moses received the law. It was a cloud that stood between Israel and the attacking Egyptian army. It was a cloud that descended on the tabernacle, on the temple. It was the symbol of God's own presence. And God reaches down from heaven and wraps his arms around Jesus. And he says... This is my son. Whoa. Now, you know, look, as much as you want, you will not find in the Old Testament any other individual who is called God's son. Now, the nation of Israel were sons of God, But there is no man walking around on the face of the earth who is called God's son. Two minor exceptions, David and Solomon, but they were called God's son because they were the kings of the nation of Israel. As they represented the nation of Israel, they were God's son. But it's really Israel who's the son there. But God reaches down from heaven, wraps his arm around Jesus and says, this is my son. The disciples understood exactly what God was saying. There is something different about him. Today, we talk about any person being a son of God. Uh, We do that. They didn't do that. No, this was the son of God in a different way from how we are called a son of God. Those who believe in him have the power to be made children of God. And we can be God's children, but the son of God, only one. There he is. God says, this is my son. I love him. He pleases me. Listen to him. And then suddenly, when they looked around, Moses and Elijah were gone, and they saw only Jesus with them. God reaches down, wraps his arms around Jesus, says, this is my son. You don't need Moses and Elijah to tell people who Jesus is. Listen to him. He's God. He's enough. So they kind of figured it out. They went down off the mountain. They knew now. Jesus is Messiah. Jesus is God. They try to keep the conversation going. They've just seen Elijah So they ask a question about Elijah. They went back down the mountain, and and Jesus told them not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept it to themselves. A little surprised, they were all about, hey, let's let everybody know. Jesus said, "Eh, not quite yet. You can someday, but wait until I rise from the dead. And so they kept asking each other, what does he mean when he says, rise from the dead? We've just seen that he's God. God doesn't die. They keep walking down the mountain. They don't understand exactly what's going on. They try to keep the conversation going. So they ask him, Why do the teachers of religious law insist that Elijah must return before the Messiah comes? They've just seen Elijah. So they ask him a question about Elijah. Jesus answers, well, Elijah's indeed coming first to get everything ready. But let me ask you this. Why do the scriptures say that the Son of Man must suffer greatly and be treated with utter contempt? Jesus takes what's going on and he turns it right back to his own death. And he says, but I tell you, Elijah's already come. John the Baptist. They chose to abuse him, just as scriptures predicted. Jesus takes the whole thing and he turns it back to talk about his own death. Peter, James, and John, they now understand that Jesus is the Messiah. They now understand that Jesus is God. Now, they don't understand it totally because they believe in one God. So is this two or what? And eventually they figure out that it is all one God. But he has kind of three different expressions. There's a father expression, a son expression, and a spirit expression. Three persons, one essence is how we've come to understand that. They didn't quite get that quite yet. But they knew that Jesus was God. So what difference did that knowledge make in their life? Well... Just a couple of weeks later reading now in Mark chapter 9 verse 38 um, John comes to Jesus and he says teacher teacher we saw someone using your name to cast out demons we told him to stop because he wasn't in our group and Jesus answers and said you fool What in the world are you doing? If he's out there using my name, apparently he believes in me. If he's casting out demons, he's doing what I've asked you guys to be doing. So he's doing what I ask him to do. He believes in me and you tell him to stop? Come on. (laughs) Get a clue, fellas. But John was a little bit too full of self-importance. You see, to John, the key thing was he wasn't one of us. (laughs) Jesus' answer was, so what? He's one of mine. Don't stop him. A couple of months later. James and John go to Jesus, and they say, uh, we want to ask you something. We want you to just say yes. (laughs) Jesus says, well, tell me what you want first. And so James and John replied, when you sit on your glorious throne, we want to sit in places of honor next to you. One on your right, the other on your left. We want power. Give us power. Jesus goes on. He says, uh, you know what? I don't have the power to give that to you. What do you think about that? I don't have the authority to grant that request. Only God does that. And again, he talks about his death. And that's where he says, we're going to look at this passage in a couple of weeks. Even I didn't come to be served, I came to serve. But James and John were too full of self-promotion to see that. Yeah, they understood that Jesus was the Messiah. They understood that Jesus was God. But it didn't quite change the way they were living their life. About a year later, we see Peter. During the Lord's Supper, Jesus says, I'm about to be killed and you'll all run away. Peter says, not me. I'll go with you to the cross if I have to. Jesus says, you, Peter? Before morning, you'll deny me, not once, not twice, but three times. And just a couple hours later, in front of a servant girl, Peter swears a curse on me if I'm lying. I don't know this man you're talking about. And as soon as he did, immediately the rooster crowed a second time. Suddenly Jesus' words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows twice, you'll deny three times that you even know me. And Peter, this big burly fisherman, Peter who made his living with his hands, Peter who just hours before attacked a group of soldiers with a fisherman's knife? Peter breaks down and starts weeping. The word used here doesn't mean that tears came to his eyes. He sobbed. He came unglued. He came apart. Because Jesus' words were true, and he denied Christ because he was too full of self-preservation. In all these cases, they were too full of themselves. Yes, they understood that Jesus was God. They understood that he was the Messiah. But initially, it didn't matter to the way they lived their lives. Now, things changed. The Holy Spirit comes, and just 50 days later, we see Peter standing in front of a group of people and says, this Jesus you crucified, he's God, he's Messiah, and I follow him. So things eventually get better, they eventually come to themselves and the recognition that Jesus is God makes a difference in their life. But what about us? We look at this passage and we can see very clearly Jesus is God. We understand that. We get that. Jesus is God. For us, to be Jesus in every corner of our world we have to understand that he is God and we have to let that make a difference in the way we live our life we need to pay attention to Jesus We need to see what it is that he's saying to us. We need to be reading his word. That's his primary way of speaking to us. So are you in his word? Are you seeing what he has to say to you? To be Jesus in every corner of our world, we need to let the fact that Jesus is God make a difference in our lives We need to focus on him. If he truly is God, he needs to be at the center of everything that we do. I am happy, I truly am happy that you are here on Sunday morning spending one hour of your week focusing on him. It's a good start, but it's only a start. The rest of the week, he's going to remain your focus. You've got to stay glued to him. To be Jesus in every corner of our world, we have to understand that he is God and we have to let it make a difference in the way we obey what he asks us to do. We generally don't have a problem with understanding. At least I don't. My problem is not understanding what God wants me to do. My problem is doing it. My problem is not cognitive. It's volatile. It's not my head, it's my heart. I don't have any trouble understanding much of what God wants me to do. My problem is obedience. Do I do it? If I want to be Jesus in every corner of my world, it's not enough to just get it up here. Jesus is God. Yeah, yeah, I get that. What about here? Do I obey? Do I do the things that I know he wants me to do? Or am I too full Of myself. Lord Jesus, we come to you today as people who are full of ourselves. Let us see you instead and you only become what we need so that we can do the things that you are calling us to do. We ask it in your name.